0: Morning. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm excited to be here. I've also had two cups of coffee. And so, welcome. If you are new, I'm Dan. I am the student director. Um, I'm just going to quick get you a couple of you guys caught up on things. If you were here last week, just by raise of hands, did any of you guys go home and add a fluffy white robe to your Christmas list after last week? Now, now if you didn't get that reference, you weren't here. Brandon, who was just up here, he he taught. um, And one of his illustrations was these big, fluffy white robes. One was messy and one was shiny clean. And I'm just like, Ooh, I think I need one of those. Um, anyway, he also referenced his favorite Christmas movie. And so before we get into my, I want to share mine or one of my favorite Christmas movies, but I'm still kind of new here. I've actually only been in new England for a little over four months loving it. Um, but it hasn't really gotten cold yet. Um, so I still know that's coming. I was really hoping for snow yesterday and it didn't get any. Um, Still kind of new here, but one thing I've loved so far, I share a lot of similarities and a lot of differences with the staff. One similarity that we share is our just love for Christmas. Every single one of us staff here in West Bridgewater, we love, love, love Christmas. As you can tell by the beautiful lobby as you walk in and the painted windows and the decorations that the First Impressions team put together, like we love Christmas. We get really excited for our Christmas Eve services this week. And so I share in that. Christmas is like my favorite time of the year. I was actually kind of excited. Well, I was very excited to come out here, but what made leaving the warm weather a little easier was knowing that. It's like, oh, I might get a white Christmas. And then you guys are like, actually, it's rarely a white Christmas out here. I'm like, oh, okay. I still love Christmas, though. Um, favorite Christmas movie, and this t- this ties in really, really well. I only had like one person in the first service know this movie. Um, and so it's not a super popular one, but it's This Christmas. I love this movie. I think it's hilarious. Who here has seen This Christmas? Okay, we got a couple. Okay, okay. <laughs> Leslie, I know you're lying because you told me you're. Um, <laughs> she's like, I will raise my hand if no one else does. Anyway, I love this movie because it's about a family that all comes home for Christmas. This family all comes home for Christmas. And it's all about the different stories and the baggage that each person brings in. And so. Even though you're all coming together for the holidays, there's also the complications of the oldest brother who, he's like an older man now, and he left for Chicago for a music career and kind of left the family. And he has, he has debts there that he hasn't paid, and so these guys come after looking for him, which complicates things. There's the sister who kind of has the appearance that her life is together, but her marriage is falling apart. The younger brainiac sister that went off to like this, you know, really nice school and kind of holds it over the rest of her family that she's the smartest. We all know that person in our family, right? The youngest brother who's scared to tell his mom that he wants to pursue a music career and a singer-songwriter rather than going to school. And the military brother who's secretly married and has a child on the way. And so you just add this all into one family. And it's this chaotic, loving, enduring, beautiful, sad, all kind of come together for this Christmas. And I like this just because I think it's like real life sometimes. This isn't a, this isn't a Hallmark movie where we're going off into the, like, the hills in Iowa at a b and um, somewhere. This is just, this is real life. And for many of us, we have family either coming together or we are going somewhere for Christmas, a lot of it is wrapped around our family, and sometimes it's just complicated. Many of our families are marked with dysfunction, hurt, loss, grief, pain, anger, trauma. It's just complicated. And so with Christmas and the holidays being here, knowing that these complications and difficulties exist, we're actually going to look at the theme of family in Scripture and how this little baby that we celebrate at Christmas completely changed that. Completely changed the idea of a family and what that could mean for you and me. I have my family. I plan to go see them this Christmas. I'll be flying out Christmas Day. Um, my family is, I mean, it's probably very different than a lot of yours, but at the same time, it's all like very similar. I'm one of six kids. It's big, so maybe you're not part of a big family. That's okay. There's nieces and nephews running around. I, I go home for a week. I take vacation to go home for a week, and then I come back and I need to go on vacation from my time with my family. You laugh because you all know that feeling. But it's it's wonderful and fun, and it's it's family. It's what we have, but sometimes our family trees can be more complicated than beautiful. Sometimes they're just painful if you've lost someone that should have been on there, or you've had a family you dreamed of having, but are unable to have it. The concept of family trees and coming back to them can just be really, really tough. Um, For some of us, there's a lot of wonderful things about our family. I do. I go home and I'm, I'm one of four brothers and two sisters and I go home and I try, I try to cause trouble. Like that's, you know, that's just what I do. And so some, there's a lot of fun things about our family, but there's also a lot of complications. Um, some of us, I honestly, we've kind of lost the art of like the family tree and the ancestry. I'm kind of curious, has anyone done one of those like ancestry.com or 23andMe where you've like tracked your lineage and your family's back? Uh, has anyone done that? Is anyone here related to someone like you're like, whoa, this is actually really cool and they're kind of important. Is anyone anyone find anyone like that in your families? No? No one? Yes. Who is it? Wow. Like just like a founder of a city around. That's amazing. So like there's cool stuff about our ancestries that like we never would have known had we not gone back and looked. And so we are kind of curious where we've come from. I don't really know names outside of my great-grandparents other than like my great-great-great-great-grandparents immigrated here from Norway. Like I know that, but other than that, I don't really know anything more. And so Our families can be complicated. We maybe know more or maybe we don't know very much, but today we're going to look at them and you're going, Dan, how does family lines and family trees have anything to do with the Christmas story? I'm so glad you asked. Turn to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. Before before anything in the Christmas story, before baby Jesus, before the manger, Matthew is going to start, in a very unique way. And this is in the series called, we call it The Line, because something happened at the birth of Jesus. Something happened at this time that, that crossed lines. Something happens. It's like it was split. And I think what's important for us to understand is at this time, it wasn't a Christian It wasn't a Christian world. It wasn't a Christian society. The Jewish people, in fact, were being ruled over by the Romans. But even though it's an innately secular world, the birth of Jesus and what followed was so significant that even the Roman calendars are going, we need to separate our time before Christ and after. The line split. This baby, there was something special about this baby. Baby, Jay Cross and Brandon have already kind of walked through a couple. Jay Cross worked from captivity to freedom and what that looks like, crossing the line from being a slave in captivity to living in freedom through Jesus. Brandon last week went from worthlessness, the the shame that we tend to pile on ourselves, to pricelessness. And that's how God sees us. And today we are going to look at Orphans to sons and daughters. When family gets complicated, God goes, I'm going to step across this line and I'm going to come into your family. And that's why Matthew starts with the genealogy. Matthew starts like this. It says, uh, it's about three quarters of your way through your Bible. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. We're not going to read through it all. But it goes, it goes on and on and on and on and on, all the way down, and it introduces a new person to us. His name is Jesus. And what this highlights is one of our first points, and that's God's plan has always been through a family. But to be clear, not yours and not mine. His plan has always been through a family because our families are marked with pain and dysfunction and complication. But what Jesus introduces is a new family, not not yours or mine, but God's family, a heavenly family, a new, a perfect and wonderful family. In fact, it says in the beginning of Genesis, it says this, Genesis 12, one through three, it says, the Lord said to Abram, this is before his name was Abraham, same guy, but um, God changed his name later. It says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family. Leave your earthly family. I've got something new for you. Leave them and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God's plan has always been through a family. So what Matthew does is he starts working his way through here and goes, hey, this is the family Jesus is going to come from. And the families back then, these family trees, this, this, what seems is like this kind of crazy, long, complicated, a lot of weird names passage that Matthew starts with. This was your identity back then. You see, I don't have to like walk into anything and go, oh, my parents and grandparents are these people. And that's what makes the person I am. Like I have a state ID. Actually, I just got my Massachusetts one. Woo woo. And, that's, and that's, how, that's my identification. But they didn't have those back then. And so they had this long list to prove who you were. And if you were related to someone significant, oh, you got special privileges. You were treated different because you were associated with someone great or famous. And the opposite was true if you had someone who was not great that was held over you. In fact, if you remember King Herod later in the in the story of the birth of Jesus, King Herod. Herods were these Jewish rulers. So you've got the Romans who are ruling over everyone, and these Herods were Jewish rulers. Basically, the Romans are like, you know what, we don't want to deal with y'all's drama, so Herods will be your people. They kind of deal with your day-to-day stuff. But you had significance. It kind of acted as an overseer slash prince. And these Herods would come in and they would take their family lines and if there was someone that they didn't like or that would be held against them, they would actually erase it. Or try to get names and fudge their families in a way that made them connect to prominent people. Why do I say this? I say this because as we read through this, as we read through this, we're gonna see Jesus or well, we're going to see Matthew include a lot of different names that are undesirable, that shouldn't be on here. Almost like Matthew is saying, look who God is proud of for being in his family. And what we see, we see God, we see Matthew connect The old and the new. This idea of this family that God called with Abraham to Jesus. It says this in the Tyndale Study Bible. It says, if you're reading the Bible chronologically, it's beginning to end. You'll find that like a story, the first chapter of Matthew reacquaints you with people you've already come to know, like Abraham, Isaac, David, and more. Yet a new person, indeed a new person, will claim to be the most important person in the entire Bible. This guy, Jesus. What Matthew is doing, he is setting the stage. He is setting the stage for his readers of going, this is why this guy is so important. Let me show you. And as he's showing them, he goes, let me show you the people that God is proud to have in his family. And he goes through and he includes murderers, He includes fornicators, and I'm so glad we've come a long way in society, but he includes four women. Women had no place in a family line back then. I'm not saying it should be like that, to be clear. But that's significant because God's going, hey, I want these people to get credit. I want them. I'm proud of them for being in my family. It goes on to say this in a study Bible. It says, Matthew's inclusion of four particular women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, reveals his concern to do more than just relay historical data. He's not just wanting you to me to re, you and me to read through this and go, oh, blah, 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 and Shetadab and Jepathaz and Abba. No, he's going. These women have, they have, they might be raised more ethic and uh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. These women might have raised both ethic, ethnic, and ethical questions for Matthew's readers. They shouldn't be on there. All four of them were most likely not Israelites by birth and all might seem scandalous to mention in an an ancestral tree of the Messiah. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus lists the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it intentionally does not leave out people who seemed questionable. The point Matthew is trying to make is that God sent his Son as the Savior of all people, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, No matter who people are or where they come from, God's plan of salvation was offered to all people. Through this little baby. This is the line we're talking about. The line that God in heaven, Jesus in heaven, holy, perfect, Ruling, supreme, going, you know what? There is something worthwhile that I want to come to. I'm going to cross this line from heaven to earth. I don't want them to be orphans. I don't want them to be left alone. I want them in my family. Why? Because we're messed up, we're complicated were dysfunctional. It says in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need some sort of help. We know that orphans are lost. They don't have families. They don't belong. And so what we're gonna see in our next point is this: all of us start, all of us without exception, all of us start as spiritual orphans. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus or if you've never trusted him for a minute in your life, we all start as spiritual orphans. We all start distant from God, far away. Perhaps times in your life you felt that more than others. We all start far away. And, and there's a verse that comes to mind that I think just, this just summarize it, summarizes it perfectly. And this is Paul in Romans. And honestly, this is like, this is what I deal with too. Romans 7, 18 through 20 says, for I know nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. All right, let me slow it down again. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. That's us. You, that's me, that's us. Lost, helpless, we struggle with this. Verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not the one really doing it. It's the sin living in me. It's this lost nature. It's being an orphan. It's being spiritually distant. All of us start... As spiritual orphans, we all need help. For a lot of us, especially if our earthly families, like we have a hard time with that. You ever like look at another family and go, man, I wish I could have a family like that or a relationship like that or a marriage like that or children like this or to be included and loved like that. A lot of us look for that. That desire is built in from God, not desiring us to be estranged and distant, but in need of a family. And it says this in Galatians four. So we're all, we're all fallen. We're all in need of this family. We all need help. We're all these orphans, helpless in need. Uh, Galatians four says this, it says, but when the right time came, Or in some translations, it says, when the fullness of time came, all of time past, all of time in the future, when the fullness of all of that came, when God's plan for family all kind of came together, when the right time came, God sent his son. Born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy or to redeem or to purchase. To buy freedom for us who were slaves by the law, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. God didn't just want to have His one Son. Ever since the beginning in Genesis 3, when we choose, when we choose the sin, just like just like I just described, the, the good we know we should do and we don't do it, and the stuff we know we shouldn't do, we go do anyway. I want them in my family. I still want you. And yet we don't, we don't act like that. A lot of times we choose to stay far away. We choose to go, you know what? No, I, I haven't really been right with God. I'm just going to stay away. And he's going, please, please, please come back. When the fullness of time came, this little baby came in and he literally split time. And he also split the concept of family. Goes to our next point as God invites us into adoption. And we're going to spend the remainder of our time together talking about this idea of adoption. It says this in Romans 8. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. What does that mean? It says, I I know you choose the things you shouldn't do. but you're not held to that. That doesn't hold you down. You can be free from that. Verse 13, For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. There is a life of sin that we all find ourselves in, myself included, but Jesus offers us so much more. He says, hey, come out of that. Come into my family. Verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. For if you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. I'm gonna circle back to Abba in a little bit. For his spirit joins with our spirit joins these families that we are and affirms that we are God's children and since we are his children we are his heirs it's heirs God's heirs in fact together with Christ we are heirs of God's glory we're not heirs of some fortune somewhere some money or gold or a house or a mansion Heirs of God, his kingdom, his plan from the very beginning. He goes, hey, I've been trying to show you this plan and now I've sent my person to really show you you, this can be you. Jesus had an adopted dad. He had to deal with this like difficulty of an earthly family. The invitation lies for all of us. God invites us into adoption. And here's the thing. Adoption isn't found in the Old Testament. So this whole first part, you don't see adoption. Adoption comes after this guy, Jesus. After this guy, Jesus. See, his plan has always been with a family. But now it becomes clear. There's no special merit that you need. God wants you and is open to you if you would have him. We see God choose families and he uses them, but the idea of adoption, this is totally new. And so, when I came across this term adoption, I've never adopted anyone. My family's never adopted anyone. Uh, many, for many of you, maybe you have, or you you know someone who has, or maybe you have family members, or you yourself has. But I haven't, and my family hasn't, and so I wanted to make sure that I would do the best I could to kind of understand what this process looked like, what this means for these families. And so I called, I spent a lot of my time this week actually on the phone with a lot of different friends. Some of them, uh, some of them adopted as like infants locally. Some adopted as infants internationally. Some later in life where the, the kids were older. And so every, every situation I, I found very quickly is very, very different. But they shared a lot of things with me. And so we're going to walk through the implications. Okay, if we are adopted, if God offers adoption to us, what does this actually mean? And what I found was with everyone I talked to, adoption is not the lovey-dovey happy story that I make it out to be in my head. What do you mean by that? I went into these conversations kind of expecting them to go, yes, yes. And then we signed the court paperwork and we like we, we brought this kid into our family and he loves us and gets along with our other kids and is so thankful to be with us. I just had this way romanticized idea about what adoption was. And as I talked to these individuals, they all said the same thing and they said, adoption is rooted in loss. Extreme loss. We're going to walk through a couple points on adoption, and this is the first one. that All adoptions involve loss of some aspect. They lost their original family. For some potential parents, they've lost the idea of having their own kids, and so they're choosing to adopt. Some of these older kids that have maybe grown up in an orphanage, they've come to know the people around them as their own family. So actually in pulling them or adopting a child, you're actually pulling them away from what they would consider family. Every adoption, because, because it is an adoption, means that it is rooted in loss somewhere. And when I heard this, I'm like, that's us. We've, we've, tr- we've totally messed this up. I keep doing the things I don't want to do and I shouldn't do and I do the things that I know I shouldn't and I don't do the things that I should. I look back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, like, they, they, they take the original bite and I'm like, this, this is us. We've lost it. Which is why we need adoption. Sin creates a separation and loss. We have lost that feeling, that spiritual belonging. We have lost it. There's a reason we desire that or feel distance from God or maybe choose to stay away from Him. And when He offers us an adoption, He's going, No, my hands are still open, my arms are still wide open for you. Adoption is rooted in loss loss, God is willing to take on, by the way. The next thing was, and this wasn't surprising to me, but aspects of it were adoption is costly. Like I know, depending where you would adopt from, it would cost a lot of money and the whole process, flights and paperwork and all of this. What I was shocked by is the amount of time that it takes to adopt. Again, not just like the not just like the courts and and the, the time there, but the time after adoption, acclimating yourself and your family, doing training, taking them to counselors because they're having a hard time transition, taking maybe if you have your own kids to their own counselors because your own kids are trying to wrestle with the idea of these new kids in your family. It's just complicated. Time and time and time must go into this. Adoption is costly but this wasn't a cost that Jesus wasn't willing to make. It says in Philippians 2, it says, for the joy set before him, this guy Jesus didn't didn't look at his father in heaven and go, I want this. He says he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp or hold on to. Didn't consider his position something he just wanted to stay in. But it says he lowered himself humbly and willingly and became a human, became a little baby. Adoption is costly. It costs God a lot. It cost him his son. But he goes, this is worth it. Some of you guys need to hear that tonight. That, okay, this concept of, of adoption, that's all good and great. No, God's looking at you and going, yes, but the process for you is worth it. The process for you and for Dan, this is worth it. I'm willing to give up the time. I'm willing to give up even my own son. The next thing about adoption is that it isn't earned. Then this really starts to get beautiful. What did adopt what did an adopted child do to deserve a family? Nothing. It's just a child. Or a baby. What did they do? What gave them the credentials to? Nothing. They're, they're, they're just born. When parents, potential parents see these kids, they don't look at them and go, oh, okay, um, let's see how good you are. They don't stack that up. In fact, one of the hardest things one of the families said was one of the hardest things was like, you can't take them all. You had to see the ones that you had to walk away from. Thankfully, that is not the case with our God in heaven. Orphans do nothing to merit an adoption. They just, the family goes, our, we're here if you want us." One of the uh, one of the families I talked to that said one of the hardest hardest moments for them. This was just really humbling for me, I think, as I, as I heard this, but I asked for like a specific moment. And again, my mind is going like, okay, this moment's going to be when they walk to the house for the first time. And it's like this big reveal and, oh my gosh, we're part of the family. It was actually opposite of that. And she said, the moment that stuck to me was shortly after they adopted their child. Um, he was having a really, really hard time and was crying like crazy they were out at a park and he's crying like crazy he was having some developmental issues and so he's drooling everywhere and snots coming out of his nose um, he's traumatized from the loss like not having his family and where he's come from and and he's totally losing it and she said in this moment I did not like my son and she said I got so mad at God she said I I, I, I kind of walked away. I, I took a step away. And she's like, I just got really honest with God. And why him? Why him? Why this child? Why did we adopt this one? And in this low, messy, horrible point in her life, as she's sitting there just venting her soul to God, she's like, I heard God specifically say to me, well, I adopted you. This is us. The mess, the trauma, the difficulty. God's going, oh, no, 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 but you are worth it. Adoption isn't earned. It is a gift from you. It is is to be received by us. And lastly, adoption is legitimate. Legally, once you are adopted, you you have all of the legal rights as if you've been a part of the family for your entire life. Think about that. Choosing to sign up, choosing to be a part and and to receive this adoption is like we have been a part of God's family for our entire lives. Just like it is for a young child. There's beauty here. There's something to celebrate here. It says in Romans 8, we we already kind of went through this. It says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Children aren't feel fearful or shouldn't be fearful. Fearful. Instead, you received a God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. And I told you I'd come back to Abba here because this is significant and I'm going to pause there. Abba is an Aramaic word. And the whole New Testament was written in Greek. And so this sticks out. There's a reason they're using this strange word here. And the other time we see it used is when Jesus is at the end of his life or nearing the end of his life and he's in the garden and he's, a, he, he's about to die on the cross. And he excuses himself from even his closest friends and he goes out into the garden and he loses it. And he starts crying and crying and weeping and weeping. And he's going, God, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, Dad, if there's any other way, please help. The way Jesus spoke to his dad and his father and God in this moment is a way no one has ever talked to God in the Bible. See, everyone was scared to approach him. He was rightfully so. He was this king and, and priest and ruler over his people. No one has ever talked to him like this before. Jesus showed us for the first time how we can approach the God of all creation, the God in heaven. I remember when I was in college and uh, I worked hard to pay my way through school and I get all the way, I get all the way through and I have my last, my final, uh, my final tuition payment. And it wasn't like the last semester or the last year. It was just like, it was this payment plan. So it was just the last payment And I'd worked really, really hard, and I'd worked a couple jobs, and I'd saved during the summers, and I get to this last one. Like, I'm wrapping up my classes, and I don't have the money. And so I I go to the stairway or the stairwell in my dorm. I remember this so distinctly. I go there, and I call my dad. I'm like, Dad, I'm not going to graduate. Dad, would you please help? And he goes, Daniel, I think I can cover a couple hundred dollars for you. This is the spirit. When we're this desperation, this moment of we have nowhere else to turn, we can turn to this God who is willingly and openly ready to adopt us Adopt us and go, God, I need you. I, I want to be a part of your family. I need help. I can't do it. Adoption was never a secondary plan from God. Don't let God be a secondary plan for you. Some of you guys need to hear that today. I, uh, I spoke with another uh, family and I asked what the most rewarding, what the most rewarding aspect about adoption for, for them was with their kids. And, uh, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't like this like, sign the dotted line moment or anything like that. But she says, no, I think the most rewarding thing for me was watching my children exceed and overcome the challenges that everyone else put on them. You see, as an orphan, as someone who doesn't isn't perceived to having a future or much value or worth when they start growing up and they start competing in sports and getting A's on their tests and acclimating and and, and doing well, she's like, that was so amazing for me to see. My my child, my kid that no one else wanted exceed and overcome all the challenges. Perhaps that is God rooting for us as well as his children going, hey, like I want come be a part. I want you to overcome. I heard it uh, like this once in a sermon um, from someone else, but it's kind of like a little baby. I'm going to go home and there's little kids running around everywhere when I go home, but there's a couple infants. And as the infants are learning to walk, we've all seen them, right? They, you're kind of standing them up and you need help walking and their, their legs are kind of wobbly like this and they don't have their balance and their head's so big, you know, it's, they're going to kind of just fall wherever their head's going. Um, and so, as, But the baby takes the first step And as they kind of keep stepping, they gain that momentum and eventually what? They fall down. But who in the family is going, oh man, (laughs) fell down. No, you're like, no, they're walking. The baby's walking. That's something to celebrate. Some of you guys need to hear that today is, as Jesus describes a prodigal, a prodigal son running away, God's hands are always open to us if we are willing to run back into his arms and be a part of his family. And for some of you this morning, some of you have been following Jesus for a little bit now. Some of you have been, you've been a part of You've been spiritually close to him for a bit now. Some of you need to start acting like it. And you're like, Dan, shots fired. I'll, take, I'll say that for myself as well. Isn't it about time we take the relationship with our spiritual father more seriously than we have been? Relationships require time. Family requires time. I call my parents at least once a week. Why? Because if I don't, I'm not as close. Why would my relationship with my heavenly father be any different? So I'm gonna close us with this, guys. This is 1 John chapter 3. And this is this is the whole point of the baby, the line, the crossing the line. First John chapter 3 verse 1. See how much love our father loves us for he calls us his children. And that is who we are. Guys, we're all born orphans, these spiritual orphans. It's our choice to choose him or not. It's an open invitation. It'll be here next week. It'll be here tomorrow. It'll be here in three years, but adoption was never a secondary choice for God. Perhaps he shouldn't be a secondary choice for you or for myself either. Let's pray. God, Father, thank you for sending your son as a little baby and giving us this picture of what it means to belong to you and your spiritual family. God, I pray that for the people of this room, that wherever we are, whatever our earthly families look like, that we would respond to this invitation of being adopted into your family. I pray for someone who hasn't done that, who's been spiritually disconnected and and just needs to come home. God, I pray if that's someone and that's putting on their heart this morning, God, I pray that that would be real, that they wouldn't just go home. They wouldn't just go to this Christmas season and open presents and eat food and just have a good time, that this would be a marker. This would be a line that they cross and go, and I remember Christmas of 2021 when I chose to not, live in my sin, but to be adopted into God's family. God, I pray for us that have been walking and living, living in this family for a while. I, th- I pray that you would amp up our seriousness and our intentionality, that we would spend more time with you, desire to get to know you better and those around us better and serve you more. God, thank you for baby Jesus. Thank you for starting as a little baby and introducing this idea of adoption. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.